Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Spooked. The Scary Story Improvised Podcast. I'm Damian Depping. I'm Cody Crane. I'm Sean Cullen. Hey, (laughs) Sean, how are you doing today? Oh, God, I'm amazing. I'm having the best day. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm just living the celebrity life. <laughs> well, yes, you're going to be our celebrity later in the story, of course. This is a big episode for us. We're about mm-hmm. to introduce um, a, a huge guest that I'm so excited about. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you, Sean, that you have today, with all of your accolades in the world over this mm-hmm. uh, career of, you, of yours, you have today become a five-timers club member of Spooked. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is so overwhelming. <laughs> I didn't realize that this was the fifth time. Mm-hmm. We, we keep track of this because we need to know when these milestones happen. And mm-hmm. it's a very big deal. And you, you're, you're a part of that pantheon now. I feel very special. I'm one of a very select group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what an episode to have it on, especially when we have a guest like this. We have Tony nominated. We have Golden Globe nominated. We have actor. We have writer, author. We have Adrian Barbeau here. <laughs> what? Good morning. <laughs> well, I guess it's afternoon where you are, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like to sleep in, so in a way, this is usually my morning. Okay. <laughs> Adrian, well, thank you for having me here. Yes, this is your first on your way to the Five Timers Club. Of- <laughs> yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many guests say that to us. <laughs> um, Adrian, you have a uh, such an amazing career, and it's mm-hmm. hard to find a place to actually... Uh, start here, but where I want to start is the last time that we actually saw you. We stumbled across you on uh, the other day. Yeah, we're watching uh, Sons of Anarchy through, mm-hmm. and there you are. Yeah, she was a great character, wasn't she? Oh man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not oh, kidding. We were we were totally caught off guard too. We were because we'd just been watching through it the last couple of weeks, and then it's just like, hey, that, that's Adrian Barbo. <laughs> we're we're going to be talking to her this weekend. Yeah, I, uh, I I enjoyed doing it. <laughs> sort of like Billy from Creepshow, only gone yeah. way awry. What was that like? I mean, that character was like amped up to 11, like right at the beginning, it seemed like yeah. as well. Yeah. It, it, it was not a subtle like kind of dive into it. It was straight on like <laughs> just malice. Yes. What was what was uh, great about it and a little intimidating was working with um, Walter Walton Groggins. Oh yeah, because he's so brilliant, oh, you yeah. know. And I had I had not watched the show, so when they hired me, I went back and watched the episode that introduced the Venus character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, my gosh, he's just. He's just fantastic. So, you know, I went in thinking, okay, <laughs> can I come up to this? And, uh, you- but, you know, I don't know. She, 
<laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this, but she came easily for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a it's not a large storyline, the whole Venus character and this mm-hmm. kind of like conclusion of it. But it's such a it's such a sad story, like because at first it it's more of like a, a joke character. But as soon as we get this episode, we get such like such a depth to that story there and and your part in that is such an important part of that so it was really cool to kind of see that no thanks it's it's really interesting with the show too because there's not episodes like that where Mm -hmm. it completely um takes on a narrative outside of uh, the club that we follow this whole show so it like they really built this episode around a character like yours and you were a centerpiece to this so I mean I, obviously um, they uh, had a, a lot of respect for you and really wanted you for this thing well thank you very much I actually I, I did audition for them I mean you know really? they saw, yeah it, you know television these days um, <laughs> Yeah. Almost, you know, almost everything requires an audition. Although now with the pandemic, the the ease is that we can mm-hmm. self-tape, as they call it, you know. And, yeah. uh, but um, yeah, it. I think I'm trying to think if that one came before Criminal Minds or if it was after Criminal Minds. Mm. But th- there was a... a there's an element of me that, that that just does those things, I guess, mm-hmm. as we found out, you know, years ago with Creepshow. Yeah, yeah. you have a, a history with like horror movies, dark characters and everything like that. Um, how how did that uh, come around? I mean, you started on uh, in theater, right? And on Broadway with these musicals. And then all of a sudden you're yes. uh, jumping into the spookier <laughs> zone. Yeah, my first, well, actually, my first Broadway show was Fiddler on the Roof. I was the second daughter, the one that goes off to Siberia. Mm, and cool. then, and then I did Greece and I was Rizzo, you know, again, mm-hmm. sort of a strong character. Um, if, you know, I, I come from a long line of strong women. Uh, and um, it's just sort of the way that, the career went. I mean, even Maud, even Carol on Maud yeah. was strong. She wasn't, you know, she wasn't vicious like the character in the Sons of Anarchy, but strength in a I different think, way. <laughs> I think, especially when you're playing something like um, Sons of Anarchy mm-hmm. or or uh, or even Billy in Creep Show, which was, you know, a comedy. I mean, a cartoon in a certain way. Yeah, you can't walk in just thinking, oh, this, this, act, this character is a bitch, I'm going to play a bitch. You have to understand, because they don't see themselves that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, somebody who's angry or vicious or any, they don't, there's a reason they're that way. And uh, you really need to understand what is driving them and what, it, it, in, in Venus's mother's case, uh, or grandmother, I guess I was a grandmother, wasn't I? Wasn't I was his grandmother? Yeah. I think. Uh, no, you no were, I was. You his were the mother. mother. Yeah. Were his, I, his, it's his, been so long, guys. I mean, his son was there, so yeah. she. She. Yeah. yeah. I was the. I was the little boy's grandmother. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, you know, you just have to understand what, what is inside her that it finds what he mm-hmm. is so reprehensible 
yeah. or maybe frightening or who knows it's been so long since I've been it I don't remember now but I, it's just so fresh for us it, it just literally two days ago so. well thank you I'm very old <laughs> you're very old I am so you're I as old as I am <laughs> no maybe but you still look incredibly good you can see me you're not yes I can I've developed a special Camera. Oh, calls <laughs> I have no makeup on. I have, I have no. But I have to say, <laughs> as a young boy, I was captivated by you on Maud. Oh, thank you. You were my favorite because <laughs> you were incredibly hot. Well, <laughs> I can't. Be, I, you know, I can't take credit for that. Well, I, I think you can take credit for the delivery of the lines. No, you were brilliant. It was a brilliant show. One of my favorite shows. My it mother was, wasn't it? It really adored was. that show. We watched it uh, every week, and it was it, just it's, it's on again. I don't know about in Toronto, but um, it's on every night here in in uh, L.A. I, I, the only reason I know this is because my agent calls me and says, <laughs> "I have to. Uh, I, it's, it's coming on. I've got to watch it every night at seven <laughs> I don't know what the channel is, but I have started after what 40 years getting tiny little residuals, so I know that it's playing somewhere. Right. <laughs> Fantastic! Well, that's amazing, and yeah. I, I just think those shows of the Norman Lear comedies, and they're just so, in a lot of ways, they were so far ahead of their time, yes, and yes. they would never be made today. Not, like, not uh, no, they wouldn't, or, or if they no, I mean. In, in so many ways, we've gone backwards as a society for, in, in, to, uh, you know, the things that we were dealing with then, we're still, still dealing with now. They're even worse. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to be attached to that show. Norman was brilliant. And uh, I'm really proud of, of, of the Please. words we got to say, you know? You should be. Thank you. Uh, I love also Cannonball Run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's one you'll have to read my memoir. To exactly <laughs> really? Was it terrible to do? Um, you know, it was not a great experience for me, in part mm. because we had some real tragedies that happened on the set. Oh, um, okay. And uh, also because I was, I was at the beginning of my film career and I, I was, you know, I was intent on, on doing a good job as an actor and, you know, and everybody was intent on just having a good time. Well. <laughs> It was like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what we say or do. The audience is going to love it. You know? And I was a little more uh, uh, Miss Pris, I guess. But, um, but it was wonderful working with Dom and Dean, Dean Martin, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, had, I had worked with uh, Bert and actually had a, a relationship with Bert prior to that. So I knew Bert, but... Uh, that part was great fun. It, in the overall, uh, wasn't my shining hour. Let's say. Well, I enjoyed it. I'm sorry to. I'm, I I'm don't sorry want to, to say. Away yeah. from the film, everybody loves the film. You know? Well, it's you know just to see. Just is it the outtake where Don yes. Deloise just keeps getting slapped? 
Yes, take a, look at that, take a look at that and take a look at my face. <laughs> you not enjoy that? <laughs> I was, ju- I was, you know, come on. I was, <laughs> I was out I know, I well, it's it was, a horrible, horrible world. But you were, <laughs> you know, you, you, that was an incredible cast to be a part of. And Swamp yes, Thing, you were carried by a Swamp Thing at one yes. point as well. Many people never get that opportunity. No, they don't. I have had some incredible opportunities. I really have. Sure. <laughs> not, not only that, Adrian, you've, you've done a, a little bit of animation work as well. You were, you were part of one of my favorite shows, uh, Batman the Animated Series from the 90s as well. Yes. I have yes. to bring that up because I, 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 I love that show. It's, it's such an important part of my childhood. So it's, uh, it's amazing to talk to somebody who was a part of that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's and it's amazing for me to see the resurgence that it's had. Uh, mm-hmm. I just had dinner the other night with John Glover and Diane Pershing, you know, um, mm-hmm. the Riddler and uh, uh, Poison Ivy. Yep. And, um, you know, I mean, there's a whole new generation that has discovered it, I guess, through DVDs or mm-hmm. I don't know. I was in New Zealand um about five months ago, September, filming, doing a, a, an episode of a new Netflix series. And uh, I, in the hotel room, and all of a sudden I heard, you know, this Batman cartoon on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and I went in and I, I, I watched it and I listened to it and I thought, that's not me, is it? That doesn't, I mean, it's sort of my speech pattern, but it, doesn't sound like my voice is that really what I sounded like. I had to pick up IMDb and check the name of the, really? the episode. And yes, it was me. <laughs> it's, wow. it's been a long time since we did that. <laughs> I mean, that show, I mean, DC, well, some of their, their films of late have not necessarily been, you know, the, the best. Uh, the animation side of things have have been consistently good in my opinion and I, I think it really kind of starts with that show and it, I mean I've always been a big fan of them so I I'm, I'm curious because you your voice has become such a big thing over the years uh, like appearing in like of course like the thing um, demolition man judge dread all of these uh, like cult classic movies and everything um, how did how did that kind of start was that because of your character in the fog being the uh, radio DJ which by the way that movie holds up like crazy like that's such a good movie to know we watched that recently as well actually <laughs> was was that because of that role that your voice became such a a thing that people used as it almost feels like it's an easter egg in these other movies i i think you're right i think that's where it started when, you know when i i started out as a lyric soprano <laughs> and um and uh <clears throat> And then when I started doing mod, and of course I'm working with B, who had such a, uh, you know, a low voice. I hated my voice. I thought, oh, this little squeaky voice, you know. <laughs> and, and then over the years, and then when John hired me to do uh, Stevie Wayne in The Fog, and I patterned her after a New York disc jockey named Allison Steele who had a show on WNEW, I think it was, when I lived in New York in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, 
she introduced herself as the night bird, I thought. And so when this role came along, I thought, you know, and that's sort of what I'm hearing is I've got to, I'm going to get down there and I'm going to do that. And then it just, it took off from there. And, um, and then when my first son was born, Cody Carpenter, uh, I did not want to, uh, I knew I couldn't do another TV uh, film series because I didn't want to work 14 hours a day and try and yeah. raise a little one by myself. Um, and Right at that time, I was approached by an agent, a voiceover agent at mm -hmm. William Morris, who said, you know, she'd heard me on $20,000 Pyramid or something, and she thought I'd have a great voice for doing uh, voiceovers, animation and, mm -hmm. and commercials and everything. I didn't know a thing about that industry, and I ended up taking classes. I actually took a class from Andrea Romano, who became the booth director for Batman, you know, oh, many okay. years later. She's one of the top animation directors. And uh, so then I started doing animation and voiceovers and books on tape. And, um, and, and to this day, I still write the last couple of years when I'm not doing a, an acting job, I, um, I do video description for the blind. Oh, really? Which is, and it's been great since the pandemic because I have a recording studio in my house and my engineer is in his house and the producer is in her house. Yep. And um, I, I describe what is going on in between the dialogue in films and series and documentaries and things like that. So, so it's ended up, um, my voice has ended up standing me in good stead, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. And I mean, other than launching your voice acting career, how did you do on the $20,000 pyramid? <laughs> I was one of their top winners. Always, really? always. Oh, my God. Uh, I know I was in the top five. I may have been number one at a certain time. Uh, $100,000 pyramid, $20,000 yeah. pyramid. I was great. I used to watch that show quite a lot on the Game Show Network when I was a kid. I I've probably seen your episodes and didn't even you realize it at have. the time. You probably have. Such, such an odd area of like uh, Hollywood, like an odd era of Hollywood at that time where uh, uh, doing game shows and game shows were just so big mm -hmm. like yes, they're, they're still big but not they don't have like the celebrity involvement like they did back then there there still yes, is they, it's just not as it doesn't seem as fun as it used to well i think one of the things is there's fifty thousand networks now like yeah cable yes. but what in the 70s and that uh early 80s there were only three networks so all of that talent was concentrated in mm -hmm. one place and it was a great way to get your face out and be, you know, uh, promote yourself. And yes. there were people who were just on game shows. That's right. Like, oh, totally. that's right. That was their thing. Wally Cox, mm -hmm. yeah. um, Paul Lind, and yep. uh, Charles Nelson Riley. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so although Charles like, Nelson Riley is a brilliant actor. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. If you ever get a chance, uh, I believe it's on YouTube. He did a one-man show called, did he call it The Life of Riley? I'm not sure. It was, I think it was filmed at the El Portal Theater here in LA. He, it was brilliant. It's, he really had a story to tell. Mm -hmm. But yes, there were some people who just, um, well, and, and others like Peter Marshall, who's a, a good friend, 
who started out in musical comedy, started out on Broadway, mm-hmm. and then but then reached you know the masses and the major public through Hollywood Squares. Mm-hmm. Was it yeah. was it Peter? He was the host of Hollywood Squares, wasn't he? I, yeah. I, I, I didn't like to do that one as much. I love doing um, twenty thousand dollar pyramid. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I didn't remember this until I ran into Joanne Worley several years ago. I was one of the original people. I mean, I was in the pilot for the gong show. Really? <laughs> yes. God forbid. Oh, are you yeah. one of the panelists? I, I guess. I don't remember the show at all. But Joanne reminded me that we had all gone to San Francisco and filmed the pilot for the gong show. So, I mean, I don't even know. I don't remember how it worked at all. I did another one. I I do remember because my boyfriend at the time and I were on it called Tattletales. Tattletales, yeah. Mm -hmm. Tattletales. And that's where I first met Sammy Davis, I think, because he and Altavis were on and he cheated. (laughs) I never (laughs) forgave him. (laughs) He started to answer a question and the audience groaned. And he changed his answer. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> How do you call out Sammy Davis? How do you call out Sammy? I don't know if I ever did when we ended up on, Carnival, on Cannonball Run together. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, uh, to talk about a uh, new project that you have going on uh, right now, uh, using your uh, voice once again, you're doing a... Um, a voice audio series where you're the narrator. It's a musical. Uh, do you want to uh, talk about uh, that project? Yes, The World to Come. I'm not the narrator, actually. The oh. World to Come is a sci-fi musical episodic radio play podcast, <laughs> if I can, okay. if you got all of that, um, <laughs> about the genre wars that take place among the Hepburners who only watch black and white films and the Escandalistas who only watch telenovelas and the fan size who only watch sci-fi and the cartoonists who uh, I believe are vampires. I haven't haven't listened to the entire podcast yet, but um, it is, it's a, very unique and incredibly well-produced, well-written uh, series podcast. Uh, the, uh, the various factions are all fighting for control of the five boroughs. It's, you know, it takes place in the future. And, um, and the music is, is incredible. They've used, you know, every Broadway star you can think of and they called me and asked if I would play Queen Gehenna, who leads her sci-fi, her fan sci troops into battle <laughs> against the gore lords. <laughs> it's been a while since I saw it, but my episode just dropped the other day. I believe it's on um, Apple, you know, Apple iPod uh, podcasts and, and the various other podcasts called The World to Come. So I just finished that one and um, I just finished this. It was a great time in in New Zealand doing uh, a guest star on a new Netflix series that cannot be named yet. Um, And I have another horror film that I'm 
I'm very uh, proud of. It's not just a horror film. It is a um, socially significant horror film because it's about fracking. Oh, okay. And it's about the horrors of fracking. And uh, because of the pandemic, you know, it's it's taken a while to find its home. Um, the Lemley theaters, I don't know if you have any Lemley theaters in Toronto, but Lemley is a, a theater chain here. Mm-hmm. They are going to be uh, showing it the week of Earth Week, but on Earth Day, the 22nd, they are going to uh, release it on their virtual cinema screening. Oh, okay. So I guess if you go to lemleytheaters.com or something, I don't know the exact address, you can see it virtually. It's with Mark Blucas, who you may know from uh, Buffy, oh, and yeah. then uh, Necessary Roughness. He's wonderful. I just loved him. And um, I'm, I'm, real, I'm sort of I'm excited about it. It will eventually end up, you know, on the streaming platforms, but um, I'm sorry. What was what was the name again? I I think it's I called Unearth. 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 Okay. U n e a r t h. Unearth. Amazing. I I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, uh, see you uh, going back into the horror genre with some real life horrors here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there are. Uh, I think what I loved about this script was it was not as so many of them are these days, just opening credits, 27 bodies that just got slashed, you know, and blood and guts and everything. Uh, these are these are two farm families who are suffering and mm-hmm. who are faced with how to save their, their farms and uh, what happens when one of them agrees to let the gas company come in and start fracking and um and you know so there's there's characters there that hopefully you care about uh or at least who bring you in and uh and then the last half of the the last 30 minutes of the film is just uh you know it's edge of your seat kind of tension and terror so i was pleased by that I'm excited to check that out to uh, mm. keep on the uh, the spooky note here. We got to ask you, Adrian, do you believe in ghosts? You know, I. Um, I write about this in my memoir. Um, when my mom was dying, well, my grandmother was psychic. I mean, you know, she had some I believe she had some psychic abilities. She's Armenian. She used to read the uh, the grounds, you know, make Turkish coffee and then read the grounds in the in the cup. And um, I had a my cousin was uh, killed at a, a very young age, an auto accident. And my grandmother at the time was in the hospital, and they didn't want to tell her when it first happened. And when they went to see her, she told them she knew already. When my mom was dying, uh, I stayed with her in her hospital room. The room was freezing cold because my mom needed the air conditioning on and fans and everything else. Uh, 
And uh, so I was asleep with, uh, <laughs> I think I had on my jeans and my sweater and a jacket and then a robe and then the blanket, you know. And um, in the middle of the night, my mother set, started speaking and it, it woke me up. I didn't open my eyes, but it, I came up to consciousness because she was saying, Ma, Ma. And I thought, oh gosh, do I wake her up and then she'll be in pain? Or is, is this just a dream? What should I do? Mm -hmm. And I didn't open my eyes yet, I don't think. But all of a sudden, the room was like someone took a fleece blanket and just brought it down on top of me. And I was completely warmed. And then I opened my eyes and I saw my grandmother, my dead grandmother, standing at the foot of my mother's bed. And I saw her and there was this sense of peace and warmth. And I thought, you know what? Everything's going to be okay. She's here. She's here to help my mother cross over. And, um, and after my mom passed, I went to a psychic and he said to me, uh, did your mother just, did, did your mother just die? And I said, yeah. And he said, uh, yeah, she said to tell you she has, uh, her hair looks good. Well, my mother had gone to the hairdresser two days before she died with her, her uh, what do you call it, her morphine drip and everything. She'd gone to the hairdresser. And then this, this psychic said to me, um, she has a lot of shoes, doesn't she? Does your mom have a lot of shoes? And I didn't know this about my mom. But when we cleaned out her apartment, she had a hundred pair of shoes, pristine in their boxes, you know? <laughs> so right away I'm thinking this guy knows what he's talking about. And then he said to me, yes, she's fine. She's with an older lady. And then he described my grandmother and he said, they're, uh, they're sitting out on the porch in the rocking chairs and sort of, you know, so I, I do, um, you know, I don't know if they're, if they're they're everywhere, but I do believe that that I saw my grandmother and whatever you want to call that. So that's my long answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It it sounds like it, it's been a big part of like uh, the family, if um, especially with your grandmother being the uh, the psychic too. Has this carried forward in in your life in your adult years? Um, uh, have you had any paranormal experiences since then? Where was that the the moment? There've only been a couple of times where I've known something, and actually, one of them was uh, again. Uh, you know, I felt like I got a a message from my grandmother. That was mm -hmm. when I was auditioning for Fiddler, very young. You know, they called me on a, a Friday to an audition on a Tuesday, and. I had never had this feeling before, and I don't know that I've ever had it after since, but I just thought, this is my job. This is grandma telling me I'm gonna get my job. I did have one other experience, um, whether it's psychic or whether it's just, 
I don't know. I'll tell it to you really fast, <laughs> as fast as I can tell it. Um, when my older son was uh, started preschool, mm-hmm. uh, on the first day of preschool, I met a woman who became my very closest friend. That she was a, a film editor, and um, our children were in school together. And she was, you know, as close to me as my sister is. And she, ooh, she passed away uh, from breast cancer in 1998, I believe. And on the first day of preschool for my younger boys, my twins, a woman walked onto the campus who looked just like my dead friend. So much that I I thought I was gonna pass out. And I grabbed onto something and this woman said, are you okay? And I said, yes, yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You just look like a friend of mine. And she said, oh, really, who? I said, you wouldn't know her. I said, she was you know, my closest friend and she was a film editor, but she died of breast cancer a couple of years ago. And this woman who looked just like my closest friend said to me, oh, well, I'm a film editor and I have breast cancer. We could be best friends. So (laughs) I immediately said, okay, what are you doing? Let's go have coffee. And in the course of the coffee, this woman told me about a writing class that she had taken, or I guess it was a, 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 a recital that was given by the actors who were in this writing class. And she had a flyer for the teacher's class. And as soon as she showed it to me, I thought, this is Dick Suzanne, my dead friend, telling me that I am supposed to take this writing class. I'd never written before in my life, except to keep a journal. I had never crossed my mind that I would ever, you know, write. Mm-hmm. But I really felt that, again, this was a psychic or something uh, message that I was getting that I was supposed to take this writing class. Well, I took the writing class and I ended up writing four books and I'm in the process of writing the fifth one right now and working on uh, the pilot for a television series based on one of my books. Uh, I still don't think I'm a writer, but had it not been for that (laughs) psychic moment or for my Mm -hmm. interpreting it as a psychic moment, none of this other stuff would have happened. Well, I mean, you say you don't see yourself as a writer. I think your four books and your pilot that you're working on says otherwise. Well, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I, I know people that have just written a sentence that uh, say they're a writer. So a writer. <laughs> I know people who haven't written anything <laughs> and think they're writers. Well. Anything. <laughs> but well, I'm excited about the one I'm working on now because it's not really me writing. I'm I'm primarily, I mean, I am doing some writing, but I'm primarily editing and compiling. Um, right. It, I am doing it with uh, the director of the original Broadway production of Greece and the producer of the original Broadway production of Greece, and every actor who appeared on Broadway or in any of the national tours of Greece who have submitted stories to us about their experiences doing the show. It it stemmed from a Zoom alumni meeting or reunion that we all had where we all ended up telling stories and laughing and crying for about four and a half hours. And after we hung up, I thought, 
you know what, this is a book. I mean, these stories, everybody from, well, you, you would know John Travolta who played duty on, broad, uh, you know, on Broadway, but um, just Mary Lou Henner and Treat Williams and a lot of names that you would know because Greece gave rise to so many careers, but a lot of people that you wouldn't know uh, who have incredible stories to tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're hoping to release it we have a, a publisher, Chicago Review Press. We're hoping to release it next year, which is the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Broadway show. Oh. And we're going to donate any proceeds to the Actors Fund. So um, I'm in the midst of doing that. I got to get back to that. <laughs> oh. I, uh, I want to go into one question here about it because you were at the very beginning of this production, right? Um, yes. Of, of Greece. So did you have any idea that it would have the legs that it has today? I mean, like it when you say musical, people think of Greece. No, and in fact, that's a lot of the stories. We opened and we got bad reviews. And uh, I remember one of the actors in tears saying, I can't have another flop. I can't have another flop. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the next day, everybody was sure that the posting notice was going to go up. Mm -hmm. And we were at that point, producers, um, they thought there might be a pilot light in the box office, you know, maybe word of mouth would get us going. And so they were looking to, they needed to, get more uh, in have getting some more money invested and they came to each of us and said would you guys like to buy you know a half a point in the show or and we were i mean we were all you know young just beginning broadway actors who had who had even five hundred dollars you know so nobody brought bought a point <laughs> and, uh, oh. and of course now you know <laughs> But those are some of the stories. You know? No, we had no idea. As, as none of us who were doing those films in the early 80s, The Fog or Escape from New York or Swamp Thing or Creepshow, yeah. any of those films knew that here in 2021, you know, the, the fans would be, it, it's been such an incredible, remarkable journey with those movies to come to this point and you know that's <laughs> i can't tell you how surprising it all is mm-hmm. nerds are very dedicated people <laughs> they are they are but you know in the 80s i don't know that we even had nerds <laughs> you know i mean there wasn't the, the genre didn't have the fan base well they weren't connected Mm-hmm. as they are now as the conventions started and you know and and I remember the early conventions that you'd see the same 10 people at all of them and now I mean they're it's a whole industry the oh, internet so. united them it, it really did <laughs> well not just that you VCRs <laughs> yes yes when I was first watching movies like I went to see Star Wars 25 times because I thought I'd never see it again. That's right. Wow. That's right. 
And then VCRs were invented. And but... VCRs. And now, you know, you don't even need the machine. You just turn your TV on and hit on demand or whatever it is you do for, and there they are. It's, it's uh, it is amazing. That's such an amazing like thing to think about uh, that we don't have any concept of anymore where no. you, you if something's out there, you're like, I'll never see that again. I have to watch it. It's more of just like, I could see this anytime. So I don't know if I'm going to watch <laughs> yeah. it. Well, I was just watching a bunch of, they have these serials from the forties uh, and thirties mm-hmm. and forties where that were Batman mm-hmm. and you see a, cl- a car going over a cliff and the car plunges down and it's going to blow up and it's horrible. And the guy's in it, he's going to die. Then you cut to the beginning of the next episode and you see him roll out. And that was not in the shot before. But people would never see it again. <laughs> so they right. think, did I just not catch that <laughs> last time? Isn't that oh. interesting? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I guess he did jump up. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> I feel like that's something that I, I do so instinctively now when I when I when I consume something, when I watch something. One of the first things I do afterwards now, a lot of times is I will I'll look up like, well, what was that about? What happened there? I I. I go for those recaps now and I, I don't even know when that started but it's just something that feels so second nature now and to think that there was a time when that was not even conceived of like you just had to experience it and then whatever you thought it was that was it there was yes no... yeah yeah <laughs> I uh, <laughs> my son is a music producer mm-hmm. um an award-winning music producer now Ooh. and uh, he borrowed, I had old cassette tapes that I had old junk on, you know, mm-hmm. and he said, and, and he bought a little cassette and he said, mom, I use this, uh, to, um, to record something on. Yeah, sure. And he went down and came back up and he said, this isn't working. This isn't working. When I hit the record button on the cassette machine, you know, it just, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I said, let me see the tape. William, you have to put a piece of tape, scotch tape over this piece that's been pushed out. Do you remember? Maybe you guys are too young. Oh yeah. (laughs) Do you remember with a cassette tape, if you didn't want anybody to record over it, you push that little piece of plastic out. He, yeah. he couldn't understand. Okay. How does that make the machine work? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so there's a lot of that. <laughs> I heard a very funny joke. I thought it was brilliant on Twitter. Someone posted when the man who invented the cassette tape died. Yeah. Um, it said he, uh, the gentleman start, uh, stopped, paused for a moment. And then went over to the other side. <laughs> that I thought was very yes, good. yes. <laughs> but but there's a whole generation that won't know what it means. Yeah. Well, that's you guys, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the last I've I've had cassette tapes before. The last one yeah. I bought was uh, I was at a thrift store and I got a one dollar copy of Weird Al's uh, Even Worse. <laughs> We, we were still in the phase the phasing out of cassettes i think like mm-hmm. we had it attached to our cd players yeah well we i was of the generation that would sit by the radio 
with my cassette mm-hmm. player. Oh, with your cassette player. And, and try and record a song that I liked. Wow. Okay. Yeah, with incredibly bad quality. <laughs> and hope that the DJ wouldn't talk. Yeah, over, over the intro and then through the outro as well. It, sadly. <laughs> it's better now. Yeah. Well, on that note, we got a story to tell. We okay. all drew positions beforehand. Uh, Sean, mm-hmm. would you like to reveal what you drew? I am the celebrity. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So for that, I go to a random celebrity generator. It will give you four options. And at some point, that celebrity will have to appear in the story. You're not stricken to that character. Um, so your options today, Sean, are uh, you got uh, Carl Sagan. Oh, Carl Marx. <laughs> Uh, Napoleon Bonaparte mm-hmm. and uh, Larry David. Okay. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're the celebrity and I'm not. <laughs> I was hoping for four Carls. Yeah, we were almost at the four Carl. <laughs> so it's either Carl Sagan, Larry David, Bonaparte, or Marx. Exactly. Yes. All right. All right. And uh, Adrian, the two of us, we got the swing. We have no responsibility in the story. We can do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <laughs> and that means that I drew the narrator. So for that, I'm going to go to canigeta.com for a location, a relationship, or a word in order to get this story started. Let's do relationship. A child and monster under the bed. Oh, that's a fun one. <laughs> so I haven't got a clue how this works. So somebody starts telling, you start telling the story. Yeah, we're going to start a little story. And then just uh, when you feel it's right to come in, come on in. We'll see what happens. Okay. okay. All right. This episode of Spooked is brought to you by BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash spooked, S-P-O-O-K-E-D. To get 10% off your first month, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash spooked. Yes. Love is in the air. That's Valentine's Day is coming up. Valentine's Day coming up, and it's okay if you don't have a sweetheart this year. Mm -hmm. Have no fear. I know that that weighs on a lot of people, whether they have a Valentine, don't have a Valentine. You know, and the stresses of planning Valentine's Day is a lot. It can be a lot for you, and you might need someone to talk to during this time. Self-love is important, and what better way to do that than with our friends at BetterHelp? Exactly. I know that for myself, mm-hmm. I get a lot of uh, stress while uh, doing planning and do- mm-hmm. and putting things together. That really uh, stresses me out and it, um, gives me anxiety it uh, it makes me kind of just fold up and want to just stay in bed. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. So the people at BetterHelp have people to talk to you about this and talk to me. Yeah. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp's a great way to do that. It's entirely online. So even if you are stuck in bed, what great way to start it where you don't have to leave the first few sessions. Exactly. Yeah. Just open up your Open uh, it up laptop. and get it started right there. Yeah. In bed. Perfect. You can still wear your jammies, just as I like it. 
BetterHelp is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule, whatever that schedule may be. Just fill out their brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And hey, if they don't work out for some reason, you can switch your therapist at any time for no additional charge. Yeah, you're not stuck to a therapist, you know? And and it's all... And online and everything, so you don't have to have that awkward thing of like in person, and then they're just wondering whether you're, they're gonna see you again in person, and it's more of a connection. No, do online, do BetterHelp. That's right. So don't forget, go to BetterHelp.com/spooked to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P dot com slash spooked. Little Tommy was just getting ready for bed. You know, he'd had a busy day of playing with trucks and balls and blocks and things. You know, the usual things for a small boy to want to play with. But he knew that he was going to have to go to bed eventually. See, the thing is, though, Tommy had a little bit of a problem. He was afraid to go to bed. Not because he was afraid of his bed, but because he was afraid of what was under the bed. Uh, mom, mom, maybe I could just stay up like a little bit longer. I, I don't quite want to go to bed yet. No, Tom, you got to go to bed. Just shut the light off and go to sleep. Everything will be fine. Uh, can I at least keep the light on? Maybe I, 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 I don't, I, I'm just a little scared. Tommy, there's okay. going to be no lights kept on. I have uh, the electric bill is too high this month. OK, you, you got to you got to sit there in the dark. That's how we'd sleep. We sleep in the You'll dark. You'll be fine, sweetheart. You'll be fine. What are you mm-hmm. worried about? Um, well, he said, he said I couldn't tell anyone. Who said? Mm, what the- Don't tell anyone. Oh, uh, no one, no one, no one said it. I'll just go to bed. It sounded like there was something coming from under the bed. Um, no, 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 no. Okay. Well, if you say there's nothing, then I guess we'll have to believe I, you. So. I just had a sneeze. Uh, Permanent revolution strategy of revolutionary class pursuing its own interest independently and without compromise. That was a very loud sneeze, uh, Tommy. Are you sure you're feeling okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you are a little feverish. Uh, You know, maybe maybe we should keep you home from school tomorrow. You know, make sure you're feeling better. You don't mind staying in bed all day tomorrow, do you? No, no, please. Let me go to school. I'll just sleep it off Mm, at, at school. No, tonight, tonight. Okay. I just can't. I can't. Oh, just okay. It's gonna Come be on, okay. Tommy. Get into bed. I have to go to bed, Dad. Um, all right, son. Good night, Mom. Good night, sweetheart. All right, honey. sweet dreams. And so, hey, Tommy. Yes. Uh, What's going on? Hi, Napoleon. Did you tell all of your friends about the dialectic? Yes. I how the um, how wealth should be distributed equally among all people, yes. regardless of the amount of work that they do, for all people are important within an economic system. Yeah. Did you tell them that? Oh, of course I did. I did. I did everything you wanted. Now, can I please go to sleep? And maybe since we made that deal, you have to go to my bully uh, Marcus's house and you have to go under his bed now. You can't be under mine anymore. I need sleep. Marcus. What's he like? Is he a good guy? Is he interesting? Tommy, you think he'd be able to grasp my there? concept? Tommy, have you got the TV on? What is that? No, no, mom. It's just 
I'm talking in my sleep again and sneezing a lot. Oh, dear, right, honey. Tommy's cold is getting worse and worse. I, I don't know. We might have to we might have to call the doctor and to deal with this. I, I don't know what's happening. Doctors perpetuates the bourgeoisie idea that the middle class should control all of us. That should be abolished and destroyed. That is a nasty cough you've got there, Tommy. You, you get better, son. Okay, just listen to my cough and don't bring the doctor. Oh, okay, we'll we'll think about it. Come on, honey, let's um, let's go back to our game of parcheesy. <laughs> hey, Tommy. Yes. Tommy. Yeah. Tommy. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Hey, uh, would you touch my beard? Yeah, I can touch your beard again. It's big, eh? Yeah. It's what do you nice. think? Yeah, it's it's bushy. It's big. It's nice. Hey, can we have a touch of your beard, too? <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, the little mice in my room. <laughs> need to touch we we heard you talking about uh, everyone getting a share, and uh, we, we thought we'd like a touch, too, please. I understand. This is excellent because mice are a wonderful metaphor for human toil. Oh, we and are. Lower classes constantly striving and struggling while the fat cats rule over all of us. They take do. everything we produce, leaving us with barely enough to survive. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Do you mind if I bring a few of my friends over to hear you speak? Excellent. Perhaps we could uh, organize uh, some sort of workers' uh, uh, council to uh, govern our, 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 our plan for a worldwide perpetual revolution. T Tommy, do I, do I hear little squeaky voices in there too? Um, yeah, dad, it's toots, toots, squeak, squeaks. Oh, your cold is making you gassy as well. Yes, yes, dad, it's okay. Oh, my goodness, Tommy, I feel so horrible, son. Was this because of that pheasant that I had in the backyard for a few weeks? Did you get some weird bird flu? Uh, dad, no offense, but if you really wanted me to sleep, you would stop interrupting and let me talk myself to sleep. You're right. You're right, son. I, I, I apologize. I'll, I'll I'll just be in the living room if you need me. OK, OK, I, I don't. I love you. Love you, too. OK. What the heck are you doing in there? He's trying to sleep. Come back out. I, I'm sorry, honey. It's You know, I just get worried about the boy. I, I feel like I'm too hard on him sometimes, you know, <sighs> you know, making him go to soccer camp when, you know, he. He's not even very good, but I, I was just hoping that maybe he'd get Don't a little better. Don't let him hear you say that. Oh, Come right. on out of there. Get out. You're right. Sorry, son. You didn't hear oh that. Oh, my God. You? Is that a mouse? Is that a mouse? Uh, uh, Tommy, oh. have you been eating in bed? Uh, uh, just crackers. Tommy, is that <laughs> Karl Marx? Yes. Hi. Have you been reading pamphlets in bed? <laughs> But I told you there was someone under my bed. Now you listen here, young man. I said no communists allowed in the house, especially if they're not going to pay rent. But but Karl Marx is helping me. He is. Yes, he's going to take care of my bully because I did everything he wanted. I spread his message across my school. Carl, is this true? That's true. He's done a great job. If I am very pleased with what he's been doing, spreading my word throughout uh, the proletariat at his, uh, his, his uh, educational institution. And he's unionized us mice. 
We're going to help him beat the bully up. Oh. But what's this bully's name anyway? It's Marcus. That guy? I'm going to tear Marcus a new one. Then I'm going to stuff him full of pamphlets. Then I'm going to shoot him out of a cannon. Then I'm going to, I don't know, I'll probably go to sleep for a while. Honey, I, I know you don't like violence, um, but I think this would be really good for our boy. Do you, what do you say about letting Karl Marx and an army of mice beat up his bully, Marcus? What, what do you think? What do you think, dear? I think you've both taken something. <laughs> Are you on speed? Are you uh, on something else? Have you been smoking weed? What's uh, going on? It's it's legal, okay, dear. Sometimes you just gotta unwind, okay? I I tried. Well, I, you need a, you, you need a different strain. You okay. need a different strain. Just find one. Don't you have any gummies that'll help him sleep? <laughs> I, I might. I don't know if it's a wise idea to give our, our seven-year-old boy a weed gummy, but if, if you insist, dear, uh, you know, Tommy, here you go, son. Go hog wild. This is a big bag. It's a big bag for a big boy. Plus, you got all your mice friends and Karl Marx here. I, I Share. You know what? Make some friends. Maybe don't pull out that bag of gummies. <laughs> All right, all right. And so Karl Marx took the bag of gummies from little Tommy and started shoveling handfuls of gummies into his mouth. Oh, he was chomping away. Little bits of candied goo in his beard getting everywhere. The mice scurrying through and picking up what they could. Um, Carl, I think you ate maybe too many of those. You might get a tummy ache. I'm okay. Oh, good. So, should we go to our bully's house now? Sure, let's go. I'll teach that guy a lesson. Maybe it's... I'll teach him how to speak French, which I'm not. And so, Karl Marx, high out of his mind with a beard full of mice, also high out of their little tiny minds, got on little Tommy's shoulders and they walked themselves <laughs> over to Marcus's house. <laughs> I'm the smallest. Why? Well, I guess the mouse is smaller than me. <laughs> Why do I have to carry you, Carl? Well, you know, my back is bad. I bad back. I'm under the bed all the time. And it's very hard for me to keep upright and, you know, stay. So my back muscles, you know, Plus he's I'm just, uh, you know, just he, lift me up and get at me. He is carrying all of us. That's that's true. You there's like 15, 20 of us. There's only one of him that you have to carry. Well, you're all on him. So, uh, well, never mind. It's 17 blocks. We got some work to do. <laughs> and so they trudged across the neighborhood late into the evening, trying to find Marcus's house. Finally, they arrived. Little Tommy reached up a shaking fist to knock on the glass to get Marcus's attention. Hey, hey, Marcus. Uh, who's there? It's me. It's Tommy. Oh, it's little stinky boy Tom Tom, huh? R what are you doing here? I'm trying to sleep. Hey, look up here, Marcus. Oh, who is that? Mark, uh, Karl Marx, Karl creator Mar of the Communist Manifesto. These are a bunch of my mice friends in my beard. 
Really? Yeah, we want you to back off, all right? Back off, Tommy. He's a good guy. He carries me around. Oh. Okay. Well, I guess if Karl Marx says I should back off, I psych and Marcus gave Tommy a double purple nurple twister. Oh, <laughs> Carl, avenge me. Do you want some of this too? You said every worker gets a share, right? Oh, oh, God, so painful. Oh. Karl Marx, a tar- purple nurple twister. And then each of the mice, a little purple nurple twister. Oh, no. Marcus rips up all of the pamphlets. <laughs> No more communism in this neighborhood. We're we're capitalists, damn it. Capitalists. <laughs> and, and so it was. The neighborhood was no longer a communist neighborhood. <laughs> it was a capitalist one. Thanks to Bully Marcus. Spooked. Spooked. That was a scary story. It was a scary story, psychologically frightening. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's how Karl Marx uh, stopped doing what he was doing. Purple nipples. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense to be honest. Uh, let's let's do a uh, round of plugs, Adrian. Where can everyone uh, follow your work? Oh, they can follow my work. I'm on. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I always have to look up my my, my information because there's every single one has a, a little bit of a different, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. Where is it? Let me find it. <laughs> I think Facebook is it. Um, at oh, come on, let me find this now. Where is my media information? I'm on Instagram. I know that Adrian uh, underscore Barbo. My website is abarbo.com and I'm just getting that updated because I've got a couple of other things coming up. And my um, Facebook page is, I think it's at the letter, the number four, abarbo. Uh, and I should have had this all ready to tell you. That's okay. We'll have it all linked but, for you. you know, we'll if, you go sure. to my, if you go to my website, I mm-hmm. think everything else is there. And that's abarbo.com. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, and, yeah. And Sean, where can they follow you? Well, at uh, abarbo.com. <laughs> I piggybacked on Adrian's website. Uh, no, uh, you can go to SeanCullen.com. You can go to uh, Sean Cullen is my name on Instagram or Mr. Sean Cullen on Twitter. You know, things like that. Follow along. I'm doing a show uh, this, the 14th of April called Co- uh, Cocktail Hour. We have a wonderful guests and comedians, wonderful people. Amazing. Tune in. It's going to be great. That that's my birthday, so I might I might oh have to check God. it out for, for my uh, for my little birthday celebration. <laughs> it's a very random day where nothing happened. Well, I was born. Uh, oh yeah. So, uh, um, but yes, you are correct. <laughs> Uh, amazing we'll be tweeting all of this out at mm-hmm. spooked podcast as well as go to the sonarnetwork.com you'll be able to see a full profile on both adrian and sean with direct links to both of their social medias mm-hmm. and uh, you can check out my sketch group boy girl party sketch on uh, instagram and youtube we're trying to get some more views there and um if you haven't as well uh 
my other podcast that I do believe it or not, uh, we've been getting some, some really good followers lately. So if we can get more people over there, that's great. Take a listen. Uh, my co-host Trevor has been putting out some really fantastic uh, videos lately on YouTube as well. Really worth checking out. Amazing. Spooked. Spooked. Thanks guys. Spooked. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 